Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to part two of our series with uh, Shane and Paul. Uh, this week, we're going to get into some really interesting stuff that's, I think, going to really help you guys out. Once again, this is a four-part series. If you're not subscribed to the show, maybe you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the show right now, and you're going to catch those other two episodes that are coming out. Uh, you know, there's five of us on this. It takes a long time to line up five schedules. So that's one reason that we just went ahead and did a freaking marathon of a podcast over four hours and then broke it up into four episodes. Um, like I said, make sure you're subscribed. And, uh, Jacob, you got anything else to add before we jump into it? No, just, guys, hold on to your seat because this four-part series, over four hours worth of content is going to blow you away. We're going to have a ton of listener success stories coming from this series. So you're going to want to make sure you listen to this whole series, listen to this part two episode. Make sure you check out this Friday's outro as well for the podcast. And after that, guys, just stay tuned because you're going to want to hit every single one of these four-part episodes that's going to be coming out over the next couple of weeks. So thanks again for your all support. Now let's get to the episode. Next thing I want to go to is wind direction importance concerning deer movement. Uh, this one is just something that's really fascinated me for years. And uh, back when I was in college, I really got into this and uh, really tried to figure it out with my own trail cameras. And I wasn't running them on nearly the scale that you were. But one thing is I was curious about uh, trail camera placement, like in a certain spot. And I, I would always put them on scrapes or on big, heavy trails. And I would like to go and try to correlate it with wind movement. And it was like always a northwest wind for some reason. I don't know if it was like where I was at. I don't know if deer just like northwest winds or, or what was the deal. But sure enough, on your chart right here, it says northwest. And that's, yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> that's mean, the biggest one. So do you want to talk about this chart a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it it... it, it it played out kind of like I thought, you know, in the area that I'm in, once you get that northwest wind, is like a front move through. Uh-huh. And so it's like during that time that the front's moving through, usually our north fronts come from the northwest. You get that kick up of the northwest wind before. Usually what you get is a southeast move, a southeast wind that'll kick up like the day of, and you get a lot of movement 
right prior to it. South southeast or southwest is usually what happens. And then once you get the 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 front change, it's usually that first day is a northwest or north. Nor it's switching from northwest to north, and then eventually to northeast. And that's kind of the way it played out. Exactly, you know, ex- the the chart says exactly what I thought it would be. So let's kind of you know? go through this just a little bit for again for the audio listeners. Again, guys, if you're you know listening to the podcast, you can go over to social media, and uh, you know by the time this episode comes out, you know you're going to be looking at you know this chart number three here again. Wind direction importance concerning deer movement. Uh, but Shane, can you just kind of start from the top and kind of talk about let, let's kind of break through this and also the importance value and not and just like how that's kind of built out on this chart. Yeah, the, all of the, these charts, the temperature, the wind, the dew point is all on an importance factor, meaning uh, it was weighted daytime movement was dated was weighted into this uh, ten to one versus nighttime movement. So did uh, a north a change in a northwest wind increase daytime movement? And if it did, that it that increased the importance factor of that wind. Uh, so basically, a northeast wind gave us an importance factor of about four and a half. Um, and that's usually in this area, northeast wind is a couple days, or maybe the day after a front has moved through. Uh, you'll get that northeast wind because it's coming straight down the Appalachians. Uh, a north wind is usually the day of, um, well, I'd, I'd say that's probably the day comes after the northwest wind it'll switch to straight north and that's usually ushering in your coldest uh temperatures and then northwest wind is the either the rush in of the the cold front the first um say 16 hours of after a cold front or as a cold front's moving through and then the west wind is not something we see a whole lot of that's usually bringing in dry temperatures uh, warmer temperatures and dry and we just don't get a whole lot of that in October, November. Usually, you'll get it in October. You know. Yeah, I was say area. keep. I was gonna say keep going through this, and then I want to ask you about after you've gone through this, just about the timing of the year that this was studied. Yeah. Uh, then you get the southwest movement or southwest wind, which uh, usually kicks up pre-frontal movement. Uh, same thing with south. It, that's usually a switching wind. You start out with a southwest, it switches over, or you start out with a south southeast wind. And as the front's moving through, it switches back to the southwest and then eventually the west. And usually you don't pick up the west movement because it's so quick. It's like a, oh, it's blowing out of the southwest. Now it's blowing out of the northwest. You know, it's like a switch. Uh, And then east. East just seems to just knock all deer movement down to basically nothing. In, the, in this area. And that's that, usually that's, like a hot yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah, 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 it's usually like, for this area, we get a lot of what's called cold air damming. And it's where the, um, it's like a east wind that comes in. It's really damp. It's usually really, it just, it, it suppresses all movement for some reason in every animal. Like if you're turkey hunting and you've got an east wind, you're not going to hear turkeys gobble. You know, it's just one of those things for this Appalachian region that just, it's just it's just a death nail for for any kind of animal movement. I feel like that usually brings like real stagnant weather too. Yeah, it, it's usually really cold, not cold, but it's like in that upper thirties, low forties. It's just damp. It just it's just not comfortable weather, you know. Yeah. So when we're looking at again, um, you know, we have kind of gone through all all the different weather patterns and or the uh, wind directions and kind of how that's played a factor. You know, of course, the number one. Well, actually, to answer my that question, I said this study, this part here was t- taken from October, November, December. October, November, December. Okay, yeah. so those ninety yeah. days. So most important, or like that had the the highest uh, importance value was of course northwest, which came in right about seven uh, out of eight. And then next was the north, which looks to be right around six and a half uh, out of eight. And then you had, let's see here, southwest, which is kind of interesting. So that's, again, that pre-front as it's switching around. Switching around. Yeah. Um, and that's, again, coming in right around a five out of eight. And then actually tied almost right there with it. It's a southeast. So, again, that kind of pre-front switch there, which sometimes it seems like we get a southeast for a couple of days. Oh, yeah. And then it quickly, quickly goes southwest, yes. west, northwest. Yeah. Yep. yep. You, you, we either stay – most of the time in this area, in this period of time, you stay at a like four days, three days of northwest or, or north northeast when, after the cold front, and then it quickly switches back to a southeast, and it just kind of stays there for three or four days. And, and so after that southeast, the next kind of uh, importance uh, of value would be a south wind, which is barely at a four and a half, um, and then of course the the west is again three. 
and the east is the lowest at two. So, again, that direct west, direct east, again, something that didn't really show a whole bunch of movement and importance. But everything from, you know, southeast, southwest, northeast, northwest, and north are like the yeah. factors that really pay attention yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, they were. And, 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 you know, it was a lot of, like I said, the frontal movements, I think, probably had a lot to do with the northwest. And the rest of it was just that's a predominant wind, you know. This is something that uh, I've actually heard guys like Midwest guys, kind of like the Drury's, talk about. They they love to talk about uh, you get like that north wind, northwest, that big front rolls through, and then that first southern wind. Southern wind, yes. You get a, a spike yeah. of movement, and I'll be yeah. danged if this little chart yeah. right here yeah. doesn't say pretty much yeah. exactly that. Because yeah. that, that's pretty much exactly what it is, that you get the north winds ushering in that front, and then it's kind of cold for a couple of days. And then when you kind of go on the backswing and things warm up a little bit, you start getting the south winds. And there's a spike when it rolls through. And there's a spike when it rolls right, out. Right. Yep. You know? Oh, yeah. I, I, judging by my, my just the camera data, the day you'd want to be, you'd want to bank on is three days. If, if you got a cold front, the day it is switching back from a cold front to a warm front, or not really a warm front, but it's, but it's like that breaking point of, okay, the cold front's over and that's warming up. Yep. That's the day that you want to, because. I agree. <laughs> it, it, it's uh, you know it doesn't really show out here in the thing, but if you if you took out if you like like I think he took out the the bias out of this or something, and it showed that south was like it blew up. And an easy <laughs> way to up an when easy, you took the bias out. An easy way to find yeah. it is the the first day that the wind is noticeably calmer. Like you have the really really high wind day. It's usually the day right after that after the front. So let's say your your miles per hour on your wind speed was 15 to 20 when it's pushing through. It's going to be the first day that it drops back down to like 10 to 12. So, And then I always like two days before the front. Two days before the front, it seems like it's a lot better. At, you know, if, if the front's moving through midday or maybe in the afternoon, I like two days before versus – you know the specific day that the front's gonna be moving through. Yeah, yeah. We we looked at this for just for just bucks, and that that that's what I was gonna say when we added the bias in of because we did this one. This was does and everything. Mm -hmm. When you took out the does, the south, you had to be there. When that really, that's, well, yeah. When you oh, had to be on. there on that south. Hold on, what did yeah. I? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we took out, just perked This up. is the <laughs> only one that we that I know of that we took the bias of the does out. Or the bucks. Of the, of the, yeah, well, we took the does out of the box. This has got this one has everything. Okay, okay, okay. But we took the bias of the does out of this, and it got south, and the rest of them were just even. Really, really. But that south was just so for so, the bucks. Yeah, yeah. South, south was the ticket. Yeah. Paul, what do you think about that? It, now, if you're here's the thing: you get these weather patterns, you can utilize on that. But when those deer are shut down you know exactly where they are at the same time. So if you know where they're laying down and where they're bedding, you can get yourself in a really good position and know that you're not going to be balling them out trying to get to them. And you can have some really high percentage hunts if you figure that out and plan that out correctly. One of the things... I, I kill a lot of deer on really crappy days, like really heavy high winds and stuff like that but it's because I know they're going to be shut down. And if I can get in there really tight and use that weather to my advantage to get into a position, you can get them. And some, sometimes you're better off in some situations, depending on the terrain and the woods and stuff, you might actually find like, it's easier to get into a spot and get set up. So there's two ways you can use that. How do we capitalize on the South knowing that? What are we doing? Where uh, are we hunting? Okay, okay. This is what I parsed out of this one, and I hadn't wrote it on here, and I'm just going to give it to you. Like, is is for some reason when we had that south wind during the the time the period of the rut, uh, the bucks cruised on the leewards. The 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 uh, I'm taking that back. They they cruised mostly. What what set the the south apart was that they were cruising on the leeward side of a, of a ridge of like three or four different ridges that I had really concentrated cameras on and it was below two big doe bedding areas and they basically just crossed that thing with a south wind 
for six or seven days. On the, le- on the on leeward the, on side. On the leeward side of, yeah. with the south wind. So they were on the north side mm-hmm. of the ridge uh, below the bedding area, below the do- this huge doe bedding area that that, that had, you know, below. seven or eight. Yeah. Uh, it was, there t- was there any specific time of day that there was a bigger pattern than not? Because <laughs> I'm would, wondering if like, – they they stayed there like I had I had three or four bucks that just you know stayed on that 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 northern side of that. So that when that so when you had that southern wind, they grouped up on yeah. the leeward side <laughs> of that. They just stayed around and that. they yeah. stayed there. They stayed there for like days, and that's yeah. what was throwing that that's huge what was value. Throwing that, that huge value. Oh, right hold on. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm, so we just scouted that one spot where we found the beds on the north side, oh, northwest yeah. side, uh-huh. and a delayed falling thermal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you and me talked about. Because of how steep it is, and I don't know how steep this area is. Pretty steep. Pretty, okay. So, and, and Paul, you can put some input on this. Mike, you can put some input on this as well. Everybody, but in that one area where we found all these big beds, we're at on a northwest, north facing slope, and it had a delayed, ther- or it had a delay uh, falling thermal until like later in the morning, mid morning. Uh, in the winter time, Mike, like you mentioned earlier, as that as the Earth tilts and that sun's lower in the sky, that northwest facing slope is going to have a much longer period of time of a delayed thermal dropping which would make even more sense of a buck cruising on that side, which is the leeward side of the ridge. Winds come over the top, of, plus the thermals are dropping too. The does are bedding up top, and he can smell them from down low, even though it might be 10, 11 o'clock yeah. in the morning. Yeah. It, it, this this was the way the ridge set up. It's a huge – well, y'all have seen some of the – I'll show it to you. But it, it was a long ridge that ran pretty much uh, east to west, and it had a couple different fingers. Well, the does were bedding on top. This ridge for this area was probably mm, half mile long, and they stayed on that ridge for four days. Just, I mean, three not not the three not the three that I got another, but but three different mature deer that stayed in that. They just hung out there for three or four days, just cruising back and forth across that. And it was a warm. It was, the the temperature during that period of time was up in the upper seventies. Yeah, so they're staying comfortable. Well, one thing, so I've been having to listen to all these podcasts because I haven't been a part of them, and I've had, I'm been like, oh man, that, I have a question for that. Like, uh, so, you know, we're we're usually talking about the sun and its position in the winter time and the difference in the north facing slope and the south facing slope, but uh, you also have that same thing when the sun is going from in the morning to in the evening, and you have it with east and west facing slopes. So if you have a secondary point that's off, coming off of an east-to-west uh, ridge line, you're going to have one side that's going to get sun earlier in the morning, and then the opposite side over there is going to get uh, sun later in the day. Depending on which, which side of, of that you're on, let's just take one particular secondary point that's coming off. It's going north to south, coming off the east-to-west ridge. So in the morning time, that uh, east-facing slope is going to be catching sun earlier. So you're going to have rising thermals on that side earlier in the morning, whereas the west-facing slope, they're still probably going to be dropping down to that to that you know ditch. Yep. Same thing with the with the evening. And what I've noticed, I had a a hunt in in Black Warrior years ago, and um, I basically was hunting. What I would do is I would come in on, in this particular situation, it was uh, an evening hunt. I was coming in on the west-facing slope, and I was basically staying out of, like, the, the creek area. My thermals were, were carrying up. Once I noticed, I was having to get close to these deer that were on the, the east-facing slope. So what would happen is... As soon as that side would go down, like as far as like when when those thermals would start dropping, the sun went down, that area was in shade, those deer would drop. I would go down before my thermals were ever dropping. Mine were still pulling back up the hill. So I could get down there clean, intersect them. You know, you have to do it where you're you're not getting down there in the bottom while that side is still in summer because your thermals are going to go up too. But as soon as that side goes in shade, a little bit after that, they'll start dropping, and you can get in there clean. You'll also notice, like in that particular hunt, the deer dropped off the the east-facing slope a lot earlier. And when I was down there, uh, I heard them milling around, and they stayed in the bottom right there. 
the deer on the the west facing slope, which was getting sun a lot later in the day, once it finally went in shade, um, the deer dropped off from that side. But it was a considerable difference in time before they dropped off behind me versus the ones that got the shade first. Yeah, uh, Paul, uh, I don't know if you have input there. I, I feel like you would because multiple times that we've had you in the podcast, you talked about that waiting for that thermal switch to happen in the evenings before you move into that kill spot. Getting clean. Um, but, I mean, that's one thing. Actually, you know what's funny? So I was on that. I was on the podcast with uh, uh, Bo Martonic on his show, East Meets West, and he asked me, and he caught me off guard because we were talking about thermals and stuff, and he was like, man, he asked me, I was like, now I didn't answer how I wanted to answer, but he asked me, he's like, do you see much deer movement in, or buck movement with that thermal switch? Like, well, the second that thermal switch is deer move, and for some reason he caught me off guard with it for whatever reason. And uh, But that's one thing I noticed in Arkansas last year was I hunted at East Facing Slope. I've mentioned this on the podcast a few times. On the huge side of the mountain, and it's big slut cut area where it's uh, being huge wide oaks they left, and they slut cut every 80 yards was a, you know, it's just open thickness. And it had, by 2.30 in the afternoon, it was already shaded with a falling thermal, 2.30 in the afternoon in October. And I hunted in that, came in low, and the deer were butted up above me. I could hear them milling around, feeding, coming through, and they just stepped too far up to the top. I wasn't high enough up to catch them. But it was one of those spots, like that thermal switch happened so early in the afternoon, they were already moving, kind of working their way down with those thermals. Um, and then also, another thing, that it negated the wind because the wind that day was kind of switching to the south, and this was like an eastern, a big east-facing slip that was kind of protected. And, like, the wind just wasn't coming through that side of the mountain. It was kind of just, I guess, going through one of the bigger drainages off it, uh, off the creek. And uh, so it was just, again, steady thermals dropping out on the east-facing slope. And, again, most people are like, oh, yeah, hunt low in the evenings. That's true, especially if you're on the east-facing slope in the afternoon, especially if it's real steep country because, yeah, it's going to have a falling thermal much quicker. But, Mike, like you said, if you're on the west side the west side that's getting a ton of sunlight, if you were low, everything above you is going to – they're, they're going to know you're there. Yeah. You're going to blow it out. Right? Yeah, yeah. you you really got to pay attention and not just assume, oh, it's the evening i got to hunt low. Like, uh, th- to be honest with you, my, my camera data shows that most of the mature bucks are staying up high pretty much until after the sun is down so you're you're better off staying up in the elevation even in the afternoon you're not you may be getting some of the you know some of the 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 younger mature deer like the three and a half two and a half they may be coming down a little earlier but most of my mature mature bucks were already up by or let's say they were already up a third in elevation by the time sunrise comes well where are most people walking in while they're they're you're chasing if you're if you're trying to gain elevation you're walking in with the deer that are walking up with you yeah you gotta like plan for them to be on that elevation line you're setting up on and paralleling that elevation my approach was always uh was to come up from the bottom and go up well if you're doing that after after reviewing all this doing that is is counteractive i'm just walking in with the deer that's basically what my a lot of my this one of the things I've learned the most about this is I was probably walking in with the deer that I was hunting or they were ahead of me. And a lot of the spots I hunt, I don't have a choice about it. I'm going to have to come up from the bottom regardless because I can't climb the mountain that far and then come back down. So a lot of times I'll have to come in before I get to where I think those deer are going to be bedded and get up on that elevation. And then I'll just work that elevation right down towards the deer so anything behind me is not coming in but anything that's up in that bedding area up ahead on the whatever that terrain feature is i have a chance at getting a crack on yeah i think you're better off hunting coming in from the bottom in the afternoon and working your way up than you are doing it in the morning you know i think in as far as in this in the really mountainous areas i i I, I know you hear a lot of people that talk about going up to the bottom. Well, you have, you got to be really, really on point with your access if you do that. And so, you know, I, I was going to bring that up with so Chuck Young, who we had on the podcast again last few weeks ago. I don't know when this episode is going to come up, but it's going to come out soon. Uh, he talked about he's coming in. He's on east-west facing ridges, and he's coming from the south side, going up over the top of the ridge, waiting for the thermal switch, and then d- dumping over the side, and then catching those bucks coming up with the thermals, which – I Mike, maybe we could talk about this. This might be completely sidetracked. The thermal switch or, or thermal split. We're like, this is something that I, we noticed when we were scouting. Well, and that's what I, I've, I've mentioned it before, but I don't, I don't know if y'all remember or not. But in the hemlock, there's always that thermal split right there at the hemlock up there in Black Warrior, where 
outside of the hemlock, all your thermals are going up. But once you get in there, it's like 20 degrees cooler and it's dropping down into those creeks, which are in those steep, you know, ravines. And that, pl- a lot that of cold, plays right cold into water. The, to the top of the one third because that's right where your canopy uh, kind of opens up. And that's why I'm finding them right at the top of that one third. Yeah. And, and yeah. also, where I was trying, what I wanted to mention with that, th- that thermal split, like what you're saying, Mike, and we noticed that when we were scouting another piece of property that had a bunch of mountain laurel. Same thing, you get in the mountain laurel dropping thermal, you get just on the edge of the mountain laurel rising thermal. Right. But on the, uh, this is something I, I, I'm theorizing, and I, I feel like I've seen it a couple times, but I want to test it with like smoke bombs or a lot of milkweed or something. But like when you're on like a north facing slope, I personally believe, in th- or I, I theorize and think that as that sun's coming up, if you're at the top one third of the ridge, there's gonna be a rising thermal up there. Where if you're at the lower third or that 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 second third of the north facing slope, it's still dropping and there's sure. a split there where part of it's going uphill, part of it's going downhill. So as those bucks are coming uphill in the north facing slopes, like what Chuck Young's talking about, the deer still has the thermals in his advantage. It's coming downhill. He's smelling where he's going. Right. But Chuck's high enough up. He's got a rising thermal and he's killing that buck before it hits that rising thermal as well. You got to be really close to the top for that. Like you got to be way up top because you get that vacuum from that that. So even though it's heated, you're still gonna have a pretty heavy draw for a while until the ground really starts warming up. So if you're gonna do that, you got to stay way up high, and then you might have to shift a little lower if you need to. But you almost got to be at the, the peak. One of the things that like I'm doing just just in this summer, and scouting and checking it, it is looking for holes in the canopy already. Like looking for areas that have an opening somewhere in the canopy where the trees maybe have fallen, and it's on that it's on it's near the top one third, and it's an area where as soon as the sun comes up, it's just going to blow up with light, and my thermals are going to go straight rocketing up, and everything around me is still either going to be dropping or yeah. you know rising above me to where they're they're not at you know. The, the only thing you got to be conscious of when you're setting up on those holes is if you got wind blowing, yeah, it dumps down into that and tumbles. Yeah. And that's also why I probably want a deer are going to bed in a spot like that because yeah. you get that swirl right there. From that. So when, when you're setting up with a hole like that, I don't set up right on the edge of the hole. I set up back in the woods. Yeah. Like in the, in the timber. Right on with the, the edge of it. Canopy, yeah. And then shoot out into it. So I'm not getting into that swirl myself. Can we talk a little bit about this? Just because I think this is interesting. One of our past guests, PK or Doug White, he's mentioned that one of his episodes last year that he likes finding those, like when he was up in Missouri, finding in that big timber, like these open holes where like that thermal's going to rise. Can you this? Can, that, that's either, by the way, episode 261 or 265. He was on both of those and we discussed that. So I highly recommend everyone go listen to Yeah, this. Doug White. Uh, Shane, can you just talk a little bit about like what, what are you talking about? Like why finding these holes in the canopy that this sunlight's coming through? And then I'm sure Paul and Mike, y'all probably have something else to mention. Why I'm, why I'm finding yeah, Like what's yeah. the reasoning behind that? Well, just because the especially on like east facing when it's going to be in, if you're hunting in the morning and you're looking at an east facing slope, uh, if if you find a hole in the canopy somewhere on that east facing slope, that's the first place it's going to get sunlight. Or say it's a a, a a southeast facing anything with kind of an easterly component to it. Uh, if you can find that hole in the canopy, that's the first place that the sunlight's probably going to get into the ground floor and start pulling your thermals up. So the rest of that the rest of that entire ridge slope may have a dropping thermal, but right there you're catching a rising thermal because it has the sun has heated the the, the, the the forest floor and it's pulling up at that point in time. And that's one of the things that I see a lot of, I guess a lot of in these drainages is you'll get to that open area and it'll just be like a little pocket of maybe where a tree is blown down 10 years ago and it's kind of opened up. And those deer just, for some reason, that's been a hot spot for me catching bucks. They like to just hit the bottom of that. And it, I think they're hitting that portion that is rising. Maybe it's, I think maybe when it starts rising in that little hole, it's pulling thermals from above it, maybe. And he's he's right on that, that threshold where he's also getting thermals coming down the drainage. And it's almost like I showed you, you commented on that video I showed you, that vortex. And and you catch them right on that, that, that crisp of in the drainage, and on the side hill, and you get that little pocket where the trees have maybe fallen out of that area, and that is just, I mean, 
you know, that, that's that's a dynamite spot right there. If you can just get above it and shoot to it. It's like a toilet bowl. Just, it, it, everything gets in there and goes around and goes all over. Yeah, I've thrown milkweed in them, and they just, it just starts swirling. And they'll almost, like, pull. You can get it to where your milkweed will go down the ridge and then come right back up. You'll see it coming up. And it won't go far. Like, it, it may be, may only go 25 yards, you know. And like the past guest you had where we're, y'all are talking about, uh, he likes to ground hunt. And yeah. he Chuck likes Young. to. He likes to set up to where his, his scent is his scent is basically going into the bottom of the draw and following it all the way down, but the deer are above it side healing. So like his scent's just rolling off straight to the you know, to the ditch uh-huh. and basically going straight down the middle of it. I think that's the reason why he's getting away with so much right there, is because by the time the deer side heals and cuts you into know, his scent, he's cuts into his him. scent, he's already within range because your scent's not going off the point. It's dropping down to the lowest point right away. So it's dropping straight down to where that ditch is and then following the, the, the ditch all the way down in lower elevation. But if they're side hill and they're staying above it. So they're basically coming right in to him, and that's the reason why, you know, you all know, you can get away with so much more in my opinion on the ground especially if there's cover i have a buddy that does i mean he he basically lives off of exactly what i'm figuring out i mean he kills five or six deer nice bucks a year and he does that same thing he hunt drainages and he gets right on the he gets above that that uh middle one-third middle two-thirds i guess of it and gets in like you know an open area and, and that's where he's and he didn't you know He's not somebody that dives into it like us. He just knows this works for me, you know, and it has for years and years and years, you know, and that's basically what he's doing is he just he just got a couple spots that are like that, and the deer just, you know, it's like they know this is this that maybe this drainage right here has the perfect they don't they don't know thermals but they know hey I get a lot of scent off this whole entire ridge if I just go right here, you know, and that I know it, you know, and that and it just becomes ingrained in them, you know. When you think turkey calls, think of Houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configuration. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB hen, some days I might like the ghost cut. Some situations I might like the country girl call, you know, that I can cut on really hard where on other situations i might like the all pro that i can get a little bit softer on bottom line there's something for everybody and something for every situation and hey you can get 15 percent off of your order at houndstooth game calls by using the promo code sop24 that's sop24 use that promo code it'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast not just hills that whole opening in the canopy works on flat monotonous timber it works on river bottoms it works on swamps anything you get that opening and you get that swirl that's where you're going to find the majority of the bedding and you just get you get that toilet bowl going around and they they can smell everything and that's in those situations so let me ask you guys this because we've really kind of dived uh you know pretty deep on this topic here talking about with the wind direction everything and thermals um one thing that I, i feel you know you can't really test it very well like with a with a uh uh, weather station while you're out there shane but it's like figuring out like the thermals in these areas and again it like what that movement would correlate with those rising falling thermals in these areas especially like if you're talking like a, a west facing slope in the morning versus an east facing slope in the evening and if there's any kind of pattern there with how those bucks are using it at a certain elevation point on these bigger ridges um because it's, it's interesting when you talk to guys that both have like like us here you know, we're looking at some data from, you know, Shane, like what you pulled together with a bunch of trail cameras looking at, I mean, uh, what was the total amount of images that you were working with? Oh, my goodness. Uh, 74,000 images. Over, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. A, a lot. A lot. Um, yeah. it, I, I'm, yeah. I'm still kind of surprised you get a full-time job, dude. I mean, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. come on now. Yeah. You're just working through all this. Uh, so, I, I'm also, I'm super interested uh, just getting anybody's, like, final thoughts on just the, when we're talking about, like, the wind direction, the thermal aspect, because there's so much there. I think we're going to do some other episodes. I got a, another guest I want to have on, and we're going to do, like, a very, very in-depth dive. Paul, I might have you on it, too, as you, if you want, uh, about thermals. Um, but 
again, this like here has just been kind of interesting, kind of seeing the, the wind movement and kind of the correlation between you know these certain you know pre post front movements and kind of what that looks like when it comes to actual this, wind this direction. Will, this is something that I learned from this too is if you have a north component wind, you want to hunt the windward side of ridges. If you have a southern component wind, you want to hunt the leeward side. Okay, yeah. Okay, that opened yeah. up a new can. Uh, you got a lot Here's another 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, do you think this related back to those that bedding though again, or was this was all over the entire? All over. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you had a northern, a, a northern component to your like north, northwest, northeast, there was way more, way more mature buck travel on the windward side of ridges as opposed to the leeward what, side. What do you think the reason for that is? Um, it may just have to do with the terrain, but I feel like, um, I feel like with this type of terrain or hilly terrain, they're probably getting more, uh, a scent advantage traveling with that, um, with that, uh, north wind, uh, on the, on the windward side, just for, you know, that's the only thing I can think is, is that they're taking advantage of that. Wind coming across, um, maybe maybe a lot, maybe they're maybe they're playing off of bedding to their north, you know, or something like that. Mike, were you on the episode we did with Clifton Denny from Arkansas where he talked about the same thing about he hunts specifically windward side high velocity wind days with a north wind? I think I was. I think because he was talking about that ramping effect of that scent coming off the ridge across from that from, drainage. Yeah, I think they're they're playing off what's across the ridge from. Them. And it's like it's like it's like circling. It's like it's almost uh like kind of rolling down. It's like it's coming ramping off the ridge. So like say this for listeners because they're probably like, what the hell is he talking about? You have two ridges they're facing. They're going east to west, and say they're two hundred yards apart from each other. So one's to the north of the other one. They're both running east to west and with a north wind. The scent coming off that uh, most north ridge is kind of cascading onto the north side of that east facing slope that's to the south of it and those bucks on those uh you know higher wind velocity days are running the windward side of that secondary that second ridge going east to west running that ridge because they're catching all the scent coming from the ridge of, you know in front of them or, or um, uh oh. north of them yeah north across the drainage they're, they're catching all that scent uh so it's like a ramping effect clifton denny talked about a ton of his podcasts he's, he's done his own kind of trail cam not to this level, but the trail yeah, cam yeah. study where he's seen movement on those north northwest days with a higher wind velocity. It can't if it's low wind velocity, he doesn't see it as much. Uh, and the movement may be like leeward side and maybe a little bit closer towards the top of the leeward side. But he said on the on the more high velocity days, he's catching it on the windward side of the the lower ridge, and they're running it, catching all that scent coming from the ridge just above them. Uh, when I say above them, to the north of them. So. The, the, the southern aspect of it makes a lot of sense because you're going to be on the leeward side, which you're going to take advantage of falling thermals on that leeward side because if you're running east-west ridge, you're going to be running on the the basically the dropping thermal side of the ridge. And you're also going to be catching everything that's coming up and being sucked up by the wind that's coming out of the south. So that makes a lot of sense. And also I'm curious uh, – you know, we talk, we've been talking a lot about like east fa- east and west facing ridges or running ridges. Is that pretty common in your area, or do you ever have some that are more kind of north to south? And do you? I use... mean, it's it, they're usually every every direction. Okay, you know, yeah. Like you'll get one that'll it'll s. You know, it'll mm-hmm. come out of the north, kind of be going north south, and then it'll turn and go, you know, southwest southeast. But a lot of your um, the, the area that I'm in, yeah, the most of the ridges are running, you know, kind of east to west off of the main the main mountain. You know. Uh, I was gonna say I I feel I feel that they're running that side a lot for stem count. Yeah, that that may be too. I, yeah. I think it has a lot to do. It just there's a lot more. It seems for me on my mountains I have a lot more green, a lot more higher stem count, brushy stuff growing on those sides of the mountain. So I think it's it's like a big it's a big security thing for them too. Yeah, you it, know. It, and and that that's that's that is an, another part to that is usually on those uh, north facing slopes in this area you get a lot of wind blowdown, like because you get most of our stronger winds are coming out of the southwest when we have storms, so you know it is it is caused mm-hmm. blowdown. Most of the blowdowns that you see on in in my area is on the the north and northeast side of 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 most of the ridges, 
And so that, that, that just is naturally where they bed or where they feel like they have the most uh, security cover if they're, you know, if they're on the, in, in, in an extended ridge, ridge so, system. So you're saying like on a north wind, they're on the north-facing slope? Yeah, they're on the north-facing. Yeah. And is that that's mostly travel? Yeah, yeah. Most of your travel, um, uh, you know, I guess out of the main bedding areas that 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 I've, you know, kind of what I did was put a lot of emphasis on a couple different ridge systems that kind of came off of their main bedding area, and that's kind of how I caught them coming out of that bedding area. Or, you know, because they would they would come, they would they would come out of the bedding in the morning or early in the morning before. Bef I'm talking about morning like one two o'clock a.m. You know, and they got a north wind and they're on the leeward side and they come back. You know say you know 7 a.m 6 8 a.m period they're going back up with that same wind on that same windward side i would like to see you uh do something we need to be writing all this stuff down to have them look at all this stuff Man, for you later. Got paper write it down um, bro <laughs> i'd like to see we were talking earlier about not bumping deer off their bed and i've noticed that when the deer are up feeding when it's uh like when you have an overhead time um, of or an underfoot of like five, six, seven, something like that, I feel like you can get in there closer to the. Well, I think we actually talked about this on one of the on the last one, didn't we, Paul? Where you could get in there, where they're they're coming back to bed like around um, a little bit later in the morning, just because they're the overhead underfoot had them up on their feet feeding. We were talking about them visiting the scrapes too. I think related to that same same time frame, at different times, like you had to find scrapes that were closer to the bedding area uh, versus ones that were further away based on those feed times. I think I think that's something you could capitalize on too. Getting into some of these spots is where that overhead underfoot is positioned at. You know, if you're trying to get in, we were talking about those certain elevations. You know, if you got in there you know, four o'clock in the morning, but they're still feeding because the feeding time overhead underfoot's like five or six, then they might be still in those feeding locations versus, you know, closer to their bedding areas. So, all right. I, I think we've, t we've talked a ton about when I want to kind of get over to one of the next charts here. Um, and the next one, if I have it correct, so this is a uh, deer movement in correlation to dew point or until the, in, in correlation to dew. So this is a very interesting discussion that, on part one and part two, actually, it was I think it was part two uh, of the episode, Shane, that we did with you and Paul, uh, and of course, Mike was there as well, you had mentioned dew point, and we actually had some listeners reach out, like, that's really interesting, they hadn't really heard anybody discuss dew point being a factor for deer movement, and that was a big theory of yours, like, hey, I think there's something to this. Um, first off, let's do this, Andrew, um, actually, well... Actually, Shane, I'm going to let you – can you explain what does this chart show here for the audio listeners? And, of course, these audio listeners can go to our social media and actually see the actual image here. But what is this showing here on the chart when it comes to the, the, the range on the chart and then also kind of the, some of the findings, and then we'll break it down? Okay. Well, our average dew point for the time period, the three-month period that we uh, observed here was 43. So that was our average dew point uh, on average, like over the years. So you typically have a dew point of 43. Uh, if you had a dew point of under 32, um, that didn't weight very highly as far as uh, correlation to movement. So basically when you had the extreme low dew points, like really dry air, you didn't get much, much uh, movement. And then it kind of went up from there to the next, uh, the next step up was 32 to 39. And that bumped up a little bit more to, to like a five, which is just, it's less than average, basically. And, and this, this scale goes from zero to 20. Zero to 20, yeah. Okay. So five would be kind of below average movement. Um, then 40 to 49, it got to average, uh, almost average. And the same thing for a dew point of 50 to 54. And then when you hit the dew point of 55 to 59, um, your your movement uh, correlated to, uh, you know, above average, almost ex exponentially almost above doubled. average. Almost double. Yeah, almost double. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the importance to how – to relative to the increase in movement is how that's, that's done. So an increase in movement correlated to a higher dew point. 
Now, go back a second here. With this dew point, does that correlate to the northern northern side when they're traveling with the with the with the northern because gives with the northern wind? What is your dew points going to be looking at? They're going to go. That? They're going to go lower. Yeah, uh -huh. your dew points are going to drop as as most most of the time after after that northern that that initial um uh, uh in, initial front movement your dew points drop that that following day. So uh, real quick, um this this one I was really excited to get to because I'll admit I'm not super familiar with dew point. Like it's not something I paid a lot of attention to. It's not something that I've ever considered at all when it comes to deer hunting. So can you give an explanation of kind of what dew point is and then also why would that be important for deer hunting well dew point is just a, a measure of when a, you basically the moisture will fall from the atmosphere onto the ground basically that's the way i've un always understood it and it, how it's importance to um and it's kind of like a temperature when the temperature meets that point you get you know dew or frost or whatever you know it, it could be you know, any kind of more, it also relates to rain. When, when, if you have a higher temperature and your dew point meets that, that temperature range, you're going to, you know, you're going to get rain. You're, you know, so, um, but how it relates to, uh, deer, I think in, in this, this way is, uh, a higher dew point increases the moisture in the atmosphere. And that in turn adds to more scent capability. Uh, scent's going to travel further. Uh, there's going to be more available scents because there's more, water droplets in the air that we can't see that scent uh -huh. is attaching itself to and then mixing within the atmosphere, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you take you take dew point, you add it into a thermal and you add it into wind and it, it all is like a combination of balls. I, so. I get tingles over here. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it. And, and one of the recent podcasts, you had like a little epiphany in it and I was like, yeah, that's, so you were talking about being busted by a deer like two or three hundred yards away. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. That mm -hmm. that dew point, like when 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 you get busted from that distance, usually it's always related to something with moisture in the air. And, and I want to because there's a lot here so, to talk hold, about. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not done yet. Because I'm still like so the higher the higher the dew point, the more moisture in the air, right? Correct. Um, so, you know, it spikes so hard at like 55 to 59. Is there, is there any kind of temperature correlation to that? Where if you have that dew point, you're typically going to be in a certain temperature range? That's going to be our, our, that, that temperature correlated with our, if we go back to temperature over here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you pull it, it up. Yeah. Let's see. I'm going to pull it up real quick. Yeah. And that will also yeah. correlate with the wind direction. Yeah. yeah. And it will also correlate with the rain. Cause you got to think too about this moisture. Yeah, your 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 dew point um, of of that fifty five to fifty nine, uh, that is typically what what we what we saw was that was when the temperature was in that forty one to forty five degree range. Mm, there it is. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Very very interesting. Which was when the you, spike just for people yeah. catch up. That's for the spike in the when we were discussing the temperature importance relevating relative. Rel Relative, Re relative <laughs> to deer movement, uh, or relating deer movement, and that's again that forty-one to forty-five degrees. Um, also, with dew point, that's the temperature again when that moisture it falls from the atmosphere is on the ground. One uh, one other thing that's just kind of interesting about this is the episode which we talked about this summer, which was episode three fifteen from last year with Tom Brownlee, uh, who's again a, a national uh, or very well known uh, canine instructor. He was talking about that, like the dew point, the uh, humidity, like the, as prime sitting conditions. And I think he mentioned that episode, like if there is a dew point where like you have dew that's on the ground for an extended period of time, not getting burned off, like there's a higher chance that deer or dogs can be able to smell you much, much easier than when it's finally burned off. And then it's just, you know, in the air, at, in the atmosphere itself. Yeah. And and that, that plays up, you know right on line if if once you got to a certain point in dew point where it's oversaturated and you get rain which is what you see here and when you have the really heavy rain the blue which is what we're seeing on here is the over 70 you know that's like we're getting now like if we had this in the middle this this dew point that we're experiencing during the summer in say you know november december we're getting rain you know and uh, probably heavy rain at that point in time and it's just going to suppress deer but there's that magical range where 
you get the temperature just right and you get the dew point just right and it's you know and and yeah. and, and, and it, the thing is is it happens a lot it's not just like in little spurts it's just about every day you get you during that period of time you'll get that ideal temperature to dew point range and that's when you'll see deer movement you know yeah and when, when i'm glassing the bean fields in the summertime i pick days with higher moisture levels and I usually see the bigger bucks come out in the fields earlier. Well, you see the same thing in the wintertime, too. Like, if we get a rain, uh, the deer will be on grasses, I've noticed. Uh, uh-huh. Side of the road, anywhere you're going in to hunt, you can pretty much count on them being on some kind of grass at that point. Yeah, that 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 moisture gets them up earlier and makes them move a little farther. We feel more confident. What, one of the things that we added in on this, and I don't really have it here, but he, he kind of just it is a is is one of the deer we kind of on on a couple of high we took like a week where we had really you know kind of optimum conditions and he looked at like one deer like of of the of the images i had of him and he traveled more during that period of time like of any any other time that he'd done it was just that one little week and it had nothing to do with the rut this was this was like pre-rut so it wouldn't he wouldn't searching for does he just moved around we saw him on more cameras during that little period of time than we did at any other time it was just optimum conditions for for scenic you know kind of like would be for a dog or anything else you know so yeah i think yeah, dew point, i bet eight percent of my deer were taken on more mo- higher moisture level when they could smell better yeah it also makes me wonder when we're looking at this this is overall deer movement but also specifically for buck movement I, I'm just guessing it's probably pretty similar to this, and, and maybe Shane, you can kind of elaborate on. It. It's like you know, I feel like the higher, or like you know, as that dew points in that optimal level, where again, per what you were finding, is that 55 degrees to 59 degrees, uh, that dew point at that point um, is that's probably the days when those bucks are gonna be up, probably checking scrapes a lot more. And also, but you think if sitting conditions are better, it probably means they can scent those scrapes specifically from a much farther distance. So they don't actually have to go to the scrape. Did you see any correlation between that dew point and lack of scrape activity? Uh not not really, no. Okay. I, don't, I don't remember noticing that. And, and what I mean, because I'm I'm wondering if the and this is something I just thought about with the higher dew point like that, if it's that one would of those be things, something I'd look at. I'm, yeah, it's like they could they don't have to get all the way up on the script to check it. They can check it out from a farther distance. Well, at the the same token, you have to think about refreshing up scrapes too. So they may want to refresh them if, up in the prime conditions after, after that dew point comes back down within that favorable range. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I don't, you know, as far as putting it all together, I guess that would be something that I could, you know, would have to do. But yeah, I would see where all everything plays into pl- into a part. But I, I think as far as as far as movement goes, I think dew point has more. It may not play as big a part in how much movement, but it plays a bigger part in where they move. The higher dew points lowered the deer in elevation. So the higher the dew point was, the lower the deer we saw deer move. I, I, I play off that in September a lot. If I if I get a good rainstorm in the middle of the day, a thunderstorm coming through or something, I will be out in that tree. I'll be walking in. I'll be walking through the rain to get up and set up. Because when that when that storm stops, it's like a light switch turns on and those deer will get right up. And I, I see a lot of big bucks get up right after a rainstorm like that and they'll come right in. Yeah. Well, Bill Thompson, that's what he told us. The number one factor for deer movement down here in the South was rain was, was after that rainstorm. Yeah. As soon as it, as soon as it goes out. And even during the rainstorm too, is what uh-huh. he was saying. He was saying that he was saying that deer moving in the rain a lot, especially down mm-hmm. here, which is something that I think Michael, me and you were like, yeah, we've heard that, right. you know, but he was, he hadn't heard that. I right. think he was really surprised by that data. Yeah. As far as on mine, as far as rain days go, there was no, the, the, there was a couple of times where it was heavy rain that you didn't get much, you know, cause I, I you could kind of pick those out and there wasn't, you know, it kind of suppressed it. But as far as that, I mean, as far as anything goes, the, the, the more damp conditions, the more the more buck movement you had. It was the really yep. dry days, cold days. It really suppressed it more than anything. Yeah. If you're going to get a heavy rain, you put on rain gear and you walk through and get set up in that heavy rain. And if it's going to break at a certain point in the afternoon, you better be ready. 
Oh man, so, there's nothing like when that rain breaks and it starts getting calm, and it, like the water's dripping off the trees right after the rain quits. You're like, oh yeah. Or after Hurricane Velvet Hunt yep. 2020. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally, last yeah. band of the hurricane came through. Me and Mike were shut up, and that freaking we were rocking came. back and forth. I do. T- I couldn't see Mike. He's across the field. I mean, I couldn't see a hundred yards, and I'm wearing waders and a rain jacket, getting pounded, dude. <laughs> in freaking, and Mike was too. I mean, Mike, I was twenty foot up in a tree, and, and Mike actually didn't even have. I, I mean, he didn't even have waders on. But I had waders. I mean, that's how much it was raining in the hurry. We were hunting in a hurricane. Second, that band came through. I mean, it like you could see the band of the, the last part of the band of the hurricane. As second, it came out or like it passed us. Sun came out. Not ten minutes later, bucks started popping out, and that's when I shot that deer. Yep, so. I, man, I remember that so vividly. I was like, I was driving so fast trying to get up there in time to hunt the afternoon, and I was watching the radar and everything. And that last band of rain passed, and I was talking to Jacob. He's like, "It just got sunny." I was like, "Get off the phone, you're about to kill one." <laughs> yeah, well, me and Jake was heading back, and I was like, "We decided to go get something to eat yeah. after that, after that <laughs> pouring down." Yeah, that morning, rain. Jeez, oh my that god, sucked, dude. And I, I was like, I was like, oh my god! I was like, it's coming through, it's coming through. I was like, we gotta get there. We're missing it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. We and, and we get out. We, do, we get we get out there. Not to get too sidetracked. We get out there, and it's still sunny and hot as hell. But I'm like, I can see on the radar another huge band was gonna come through. So I'm like, it's hot as hell. I'm throwing the actually, I packed the waders in and like rain jacket. And the second I start walking, I can see a buck already in the field. You know, got snuck up behind some. Okay, behind some cover, whatever, dude. Suck it behind some cover, and uh, and then the second the rain was coming because it got gnarly. I threw the freaking waders on, rain jacket on, zipped up. I mean, tight. All you can see is like my eyes, and you just I had to t- put my back to the wind because it was just pelting us from the west <laughs> and uh, rough, dude. Was that was that Hurricane Sandy? That's a good question. No. Was that the hurricane? This was a hurricane that hit Louisiana and went I, up through Mississippi and uh, Louisiana. Yeah, it came like right up the Mississippi I, I River. I killed a, I killed a buck that like 15 minutes after hurricane sandy came through <laughs> nice. yeah. i didn't even have power at my house i'm like i'm going out i went out <laughs> yeah any hurricane that i've seen right before and right after just seems like phenomenal movement i'm praying for one for this year i've even heard that from researchers uh dr grant woods was talking about that and some of his scrape research he did, i think he did his pa his dissertation on scrapes and if I'm like doing this off memory, so I might be wrong. But he's mentioned before that he stayed to like keep doing his study during a hurricane that came through. I think this was in South Carolina. I think he was at Clemson. And uh, he's like, man, the front end of that hurricane, that I mean, they were well, they were like ants. They yeah. were everywhere. Well, that's yeah. that's the reason why I was able to find all of those bachelor groups because I got up there early and I found like, like two what, day, yeah two days before three. I days? to find like five bachelor groups. Yeah, and we've gone back and never seen them. Again. Yeah, we didn't see anything <laughs> last year. There was no hurricane. <laughs> one of the one of the things about rain too that that I that that kind of anomalous thing is if you have a primary scrape that you're you know about and you can get a rain. Because this played out a few times in the camera data. If you can get a rain that ends just as it's breaking daylight or just after, they're going to hit that scrape. They're going to come to that scrape as soon as the rain is over. Like if it's yep. in, that, if it's in that, 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 that couple of week window where they're really on primary scrapes, if you can time out a rain... Like I know and you, probably, can, you know the, the gnarlier the better. Like yeah, the, the big, big, yeah. If you can get a heavy rain all night and then it ends just as the morning's breaking or just mid morning, you better be on that primary scrape because they're yeah. that, you know they're going to come to it. I did that six years ago. I had a big tent porn hour. I was hunting and it was just that situation. It stopped raining and then boom, there he was right in the morning. I was like, Phew. yeah, that's the oh, only the I only thing that I learned from this about scrape hunting is that's that's the you know that that's that's your you know. Was there any? Do you all have anything else on the dew point? I mean, does anybody else have any kind of any theories here? Any thoughts? I mean, Paul, do you have anything else like on on dew point specifically? On it, <laughs> hunt, yeah, yeah, hunt by the dew point, hunt by the dew point. The temperature, you know, like all that kind of goes together, and it all you know, if you combine the temperature, the dew point. Uh, the wind speed and all that, you you know, it 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 all kind of goes together, but also you got to pick your locations, uh, by by kind of a combination of those, and not just hunt, um, off of those locations. Like I, I don't know how to how to explain that other than to say, um, you know, like there's a lot of push right now to hunt bedding, you know, but you can't only hunt mm-hmm. bedding when the conditions are right or you're, you know, and, and we all know that, but you got to figure out what, what conditions are, are right for you, you know? 
And one of the things well, that that kind of, I guess, stood out to me after looking at everything from a from a from a a large view, like looking at all the data, is like if it's clear and calm, you need to be hunt putting yourself in an area for the second bed. Like just looking at the camera data and looking at, at things that I'm seeing, you need to, you can't hunt, you can't hunt bedding on a clear and calm day. I mean, you can, you can, you might can get away with it, but more often than not, you're going to do more harm than good, but you need to be set up for that second, that, that, that movement off of that first bed. And that first bed yep. may be from 5 a.m. till 7 a.m. Then again, it may be from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. But you need to place yourself where you think they're going to bed the next time. Because you get that, that's where that movement is too, from that, from that, and because every deer, they're going to feed a, a couple times during the day without a doubt. They're going to have, they have to, they can't just sit on the bed all day. And, and these deer move around like, that's one of the things is they may move in a small area, but they're going to move. They're not just stationary and they don't just go somewhere and sit and just stay there. They move around and that first, that first bed movement from, that early morning bed to that second bed is your your morning time, and you have to put a lot of thought into that. Yeah, that's something. Uh, I think there's we all have something to say there, but that's something we've seen on the GPS data uh, when we looked at some GPS studies last year. Is like, you know, even those days when like they weren't moving like terrible distance, those deer, those bucks were always moving. Like there were certain days I remember in some specific beds on one of the pieces of public land that you know we all have some experience on, um, and there was a couple beds where that buck he'd go there and he would not leave within 40 yards of that bed, but he was up feeding in that little thicket. And it's like, then it comes down to like, yeah, the deer are moving, but like, then you got to think of like enough. What's that movement that's going to be making him, or I can't talk. What's the movement that's going to allow him to be more killable? Because unless you're in that side, that 50 yard buffer of him, you might not see him, but some of these conditions are what we're talking about may expand that bubble that he's going to be moving during daylight hours, especially if we're talking something that's not during the rut or even maybe during pre-rut when he's up and being a little bit more active. Um, I know Mike, he was saying something that kind of, it seemed like a light bulb went off for you for, for a second. There's a lot of light bulbs going off. <laughs> you guys figure out which one's going off, which one's going on, or going on and going off. On the, the dew point aspect and, and kind of like that overall movement, you know, it's just something that's kind of fascinating. Like you said, like all this that we're looking at, it's like just compounding factors. Like if you just have like one of these factors by itself, that's interesting. But then you see this factor, like when it comes to the temperature, like, oh, there's a correlation there. And you find all these different correlations. It's like when you have all these compounding factors, that's what you're kind of looking for instead of each individual aspect. But we're kind of going through each individual aspect since uh, that's what we're going to be doing. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at... Uh, 30 and 50 and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50 and the 50 yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when I, we were out there with Mike and Sam we were all super impressed I mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and Andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So, guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T R U L O C K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with True Lock. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed this uh, part two of this series. Uh, once again, if you haven't already subscribed, please do that. Also, if you want to give us some more support, you can go check out our Patreon page where there's all kinds of extra content that you're going to get uh, from you know early access to videos and other podcasts to exclusive videos and podcasts that you can only get on Patreon, as well as a collaborator tier where uh, you can get us to help you map scout your property one-on-one. -on -one. 
Uh, Jacob, you got anything to add? No. Again, guys, we appreciate your support. Again, you're going to want to check out this uh, Friday's episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Outro where we break down this Part 2 episode. And, guys, you're going to want to stay tuned for Part 3. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Please share it with a buddy. Leave us a review. Hey, if you've been enjoying this uh, the series so far after this Part 2 episode, go leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you're liking so far and maybe how you're going to use some of this information uh, for your season coming up. So thank you all for your support. We'll catch you back here for Friday's episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Outro. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.